Hello, 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 dong. Hello, hi. Nearly one-third, one-third of America's GDP, one-third of America's GDP is federal spending, which originates in the House of Representatives. If Congress can't pass spending bills, one-third of our entire economy shuts down and plunges the world into darkness. That's just how important Congress is. But in a scenario normally reserved for Europe's cantankerous parliamentary system, Congress tonight cannot form a government. Despite six rounds of voting over a two-day stretch, for the first time in 100 years, Congress has failed to elect a speaker with no resolution to this impasse in sight. No speaker means no members of Congress can get sworn in, which means one half of our bicameral legislative branch is in total paralysis. When does this humiliation of the GOP turn into something more dangerous for America and the world? The magic number is 218. Kevin McCarthy, leader of the Republicans in the House, needs 218 votes to win. He's already moved into the Speaker's office. It's just not his yet, because tonight he finds himself up against 20 far-right defectors who, in open rebellion, demonize him as a creature of the swamp they were elected to drain. Meanwhile, Democratic Minority Leader and Wall Street darling Hakeem Jeffries has managed in all six rounds to get more votes than McCarthy, with every single Democrat casting their ballot for him. But that's still not enough to carry Hakeem Jeffries to the 218 finish line. You see, Republicans won the House in November. They have the votes. What they don't have is a candidate to unify them. How long can this country go without a functioning government? How does this end? With some sort of power-sharing agreement between Hakeem Jeffries and Kevin McCarthy? Or will there, will there be some deux machina? Will Donald Trump come flying in from the sky and save the day and unify the party around him, Donald Trump, as speaker? As you all know, anyone can become speaker. It doesn't have to be an elected member of Congress. Or, considering Newt Gingrich once held the position, a warm-blooded animal. Anybody can be speaker, even Newt Gingrich. Speaker of the House is the only congressional office mentioned in the Constitution. There must be a speaker. So what's going on tonight in Washington, D.C. isn't about Kevin McCarthy. It's not even about the future of the Republican Party or our Constitution. These 20 far-right conservatives are doing much more than playing a game of chicken with our future. These 20 far-right conservatives are insurrectionists who, just like the men and women who stormed our Capitol on January 6th, are determined to prevent America's government from functioning. But this time, unlike on January 6, no blood is being spilled, at least for the time being, 
And it's all perfectly legal, at least for the time being. Who is to blame for all of this? One person. One person. I blame one person for all of this. It's not Biden or Pelosi. It's not McCarthy or Trump. I'm going to tell you whose fault this is. But first, I'm David Feldman, and this is The Mop Up. Please subscribe to this channel. Check out my new subscribe button. Look at this. Yeah, like that? Yeah, pretty fancy. Please subscribe. <laughs> Please subscribe. I'm so desperate. Please subscribe to this channel. Okay. Who is really to blame for all this? I'm going to tell you. But first, I need to know what you think. Tell me in the comments section below. I read all the comments and try to respond, especially to the ones that make me laugh. I care what you think so long as you follow our community guidelines. Okay. The constitutional crisis going on right now. Congress can't get sworn in until there's a speaker. Republicans are in the majority, so they must, it seems, they must agree on a speaker, but they can't, which means the legislative branch of our federal government can't function, and that means our government can function, and that's exactly the plan to shut our government down. Maybe not permanently, but for as long as possible. Many of the people charged with a crime for their role on January 6 are accused of blocking the functioning of our government. It is a crime to prevent our government from functioning unless you're a Republican member of Congress, in which case you were elected to precisely do that. And it's what we're watching played out in Washington all this week. Our government can't function right now, and it's what Republicans are there for. So you Democrats, soon you'll be putting down the popcorn. I know you're enjoying this. You'll be putting down the popcorn and picking up the Xanax, because what we are witnessing is another January 6th. Only this time, nobody is getting hurt or arrested, at least for the time being. Republicans, every single one of them, came to Washington to shut it all down, and that's exactly what they're accomplishing this week. The very same people who encouraged and rooted for the insurrectionists on January 6, 2021, are the very same people right now who are attempting to derail Kevin McCarthy's speakership, as well as our entire legislative branch, because they are all wrecking balls who can't do anything other than destroy whatever's in front of them. These are broken people who won't be satisfied until everything and everyone is as shattered as they are. Republican Chip Roy, who keeps nominating everybody except Kevin McCarthy for speaker, is a wreck and thus a wrecking ball. Republican Lauren Boebert, who nominated Florida Congressman Byron Donalds for speaker today, she is a wrecking ball. 
Arizona Congressman Andy Biggs, who threatened to run against McCarthy for speaker, is a wrecking ball. Arizona Congressman Paul Gosar, who won't support McCarthy, is a wrecking ball. Members of his own family say he's insane. Pennsylvania Congressman Scott Perry, who also opposes Kevin McCarthy, is a wrecking ball. Florida Congressman Matt Gates, who unabashedly attacks Kevin McCarthy, is a wrecking ball. Earlier this week, Matt Gates fired off a letter to the architect of the Capitol demanding to know why Kevin McCarthy has occupied the speaker's office without winning the job first. And Matt Gates is demanding that McCarthy be forcibly removed from the speaker's office for squatting. He's kind of right on that. Look, I don't have to remind you about Matt Gates. His best friend is now doing, I think, 20 years for trafficking underage girls. And Gates is still under investigation for those same identical charges. We are talking about 20 far-right, ruinous individuals who are trying to block Kevin McCarthy from becoming speaker. 18 of those 20 are election deniers. 18 of these people, these far-right conservatives, either refused to certify the election for Joe Biden on January 6th or ran for office as election deniers. And it's why Kevin McCarthy's speakership, at least for now, is doomed because he has a very slim majority and he needs the votes of every sick and dangerous Republican he helped get elected. It's... It's not like McCarthy ever did anything to snuff out this insanity inside his party. He attempted to work with the insanity because he's a creature of it. Never forget that Kevin McCarthy refused to certify the election for Joe Biden on January 6th. Actually, it was early in the morning on January 7th. Kevin McCarthy did not certify the election for Joe Biden, even though he was huddled terrified in a secure location that day, screaming at Trump to call off his jackals, and Trump refused. When it came, when it came time later that day, McCarthy refused to certify the election for Joe Biden, and he continues to repeat the lie that the election was stolen. And after that insurrection, Kevin McCarthy flew down to Mar-a-Lago, Days after January 6th to kiss Donald Trump's ring, Kevin McCarthy lacked the courage to stand up to Trump because Kevin McCarthy stands for nothing other than himself. He refused to purge his party after January 6th, and that is why he now finds himself at the mercy of Arizona Congressman Andy Biggs, who begged Donald Trump for a pardon after January 6th. Kevin McCarthy is at the mercy of Paul Gosar, who also begged Donald Trump for a pardon after January 6th. McCarthy's at the mercy of Congressman Scott Perry, who also begged Donald Trump for a pardon after January 6th. If you remember, the FBI seized Scott Perry's cell phone in August of last year, to determine how big a role Perry played in attempting to seat phony electors on January 6th. Kevin McCarthy purged none of these creatures.
In his bid for Speaker, Kevin McCarthy placated these thuggish moral degenerates by promising to defang the House Ethics Office so that none of the GOP members of Congress, including McCarthy himself, could be brought up on ethics charges for the role they all played on January 6. Kevin McCarthy, in his bid for speaker, essentially offered these far, far right conservatives immunity for January 6. And that still wasn't good enough for them. We all know people like this. We all have them in our lives. I'm surprised Kevin McCarthy didn't realize that there was nothing you could do for these people. These people who he's trying to get, he's trying to get the vote from, they're rotting inside. So no matter what you offer them, it's never good enough. Kevin McCarthy is notoriously stupid. It is said that he cannot count votes. That is the rumor about Kevin McCarthy, that he can't count votes. The number one job of a speaker is being able to count votes. And Kevin McCarthy, they say, can't count votes. And we've seen six rounds in two days that he keeps losing. He can't count votes. He's an idiot. And he has no idea what he's up against. To give you an idea of what Kevin McCarthy is up against tonight, let's take a closer look at Texas Republican Chip Roy, the guy giving McCarthy all this trouble. Chip Roy nominated Jim Jordan for speaker on Tuesday. On Wednesday, he nominated Congressman Byron Donalds, the Republican from Florida. Now, unlike McCarthy, Chip Roy had the temerity to defy Trump on January 6 and vote to certify the election for Joe Biden. Even a debauched law life, even a de debauched low life and law life uh, like Chip Roy, even somebody like Chip Roy has more principle than Kevin McCarthy. And while Chip Roy didn't back the insurrection the way the rest of them did, that doesn't mean he isn't an insurrectionist. This is what Kevin McCarthy is up against. He is up against an actual insurrectionist. Chip Roy is an insurrectionist. Roy is blocking McCarthy right now because he is an insurrectionist. Even though he didn't support the people who stormed the Capitol on January 6th, Chip Roy has said repeatedly that the Second Amendment was written so ordinary Americans could take arms against our government should it devolve into tyranny. That's how off the rails and batshit crazy Chip Roy is. He used to be Ted Cruz's chief of staff. He needs medication, okay? He is an insurrectionist, and yet this insurrectionist has more character than Kevin McCarthy because Chip Roy had the courage to stand up to Trump. Chip Roy needs to be institutionalized. He repeatedly says the Second Amendment is there to take arms against the government when it becomes a tyrannical, uh, when, when we're under a tyranny. But he offers no definition of what constitutes a tyrannical government. He doesn't say who decides when America is a tyrannical government. And more importantly, he doesn't specify 
who specifically should take arms against the government and what the government should be replaced with. Like I said, Chip Roy is batshit crazy. He needs to be examined by a team of psychiatrists. And yet he still has more character than Kevin McCarthy, because unlike Kevin McCarthy, Chip Roy had the human decency to stand up to Donald Trump. Chip Roy voted to certify the election for Joe Biden and Kevin McCarthy wouldn't. This is who McCarthy is up against. Insurrectionists who are more principled and moral than he is. Now, Chip Roy is never going to vote for Kevin McCarthy as speaker. So this isn't about Kevin McCarthy. This is about breaking things. This is about an entire party that wants to destroy our government because Republicans don't believe in government because they don't believe in America. And my worry tonight is that despite the chaos, Republicans will, believe it or not, end up getting rewarded politically for all this bedlam they're responsible for. Why? Why will they be rewarded politically? Teddy Roosevelt, Republican, famously said, get action, get action. This was his quote, get action, do things, don't fritter away your time, create, act, take a place wherever you are and be somebody, get action get action. What we are witnessing in Washington this week is action. It's the action of inaction, but it's action. The gridlock of blocking a speaker from getting elected, it's action. And that is what the American people have always craved. The failure to elect a speaker is what Americans are thirsting for because they crave action. They like seeing Republicans in Washington fighting amongst themselves because it creates the misapprehension that Republicans are fighting for the American people. Nothing could be further from the truth. The civil war inside the GOP isn't about the American people. It's about creating a distraction. It's about grinding the government to a halt so the richest 1% can't be regulated or taxed. But the theatrics, the histrionics appear to ordinary Americans that Republicans creating all this chaos, these Republicans are doing this because they care about something. The truth is, of course, we know they don't care about anything. The purpose of this chaos tonight is to create more chaos, the type of chaos that benefits they're corporate paymasters because there is wealth to pre be preserved when Washington is in a state of chaos. This chaos is serving the richest 1% perfectly fine. Thank you very much. It has been said that democracy by design is messy, but so is a dirty diaper and that's what we're bearing witness to in Congress this week. An absolute shit show. Hard to believe, isn't it, that Republicans, a party that exhorts hyper-individualism, a party that insists it's not about the common good, it's about what benefits me, 
It's not about what benefits my neighbor or the community. It's all about me, me, me. It is simply incomprehensible that Republicans, this ashen cluster of malignant narcissists, it is impossible for me to believe that they can't seem to come together as one and elect a speaker. Who would ever believe Republicans could be that hyper-individualistic? I mean, who would believe it? Who would believe that it's too heavy a lift for Republicans to find 218 votes to keep our government functioning? Well, I guess it was all inevitable. Inevitable. When, uh, when a once somewhat respectable political party has been transformed into a coven of gun-toting survivalists who aren't about to share their underground prepper bunker with anyone. What we're witnessing right now in the Republican Party is a bunch of heavily armed end times doctrinaires refusing to share. They will not share their money, or their power with anybody, including their own kind. But never forget this. The 20 or so members of Congress holding up this process are the heart and soul of the Republican Party. Every single member who is voting against Kevin McCarthy, they are the real Republicans. Those who are voting for McCarthy are in denial. They refuse to deal with the reality of what the Republican Party has become. Lauren Boebert is the Republican Party. Trump is the Republican Party. There is no longer room for anyone like Kevin McCarthy, who pretends to be willing to compromise. There is no room for somebody who even pretends to compromise. Gone are the moderates. Marjorie Taylor Greene is now a power broker in Kevin McCarthy's new vision for the party. That's how far to the right McCarthy had to move to appear somewhat reasonable. Marjorie Taylor Greene is the Republican Party, not Kevin McCarthy. Here is the uncomfortable truth for anyone who voted for a Republican. The bedrock of the current Republican Party the bedrock, are the true believers in the coming apocalypse. And they got elected to hasten the second coming, either of Jesus or Donald Trump, and I doubt they know the difference. Ask Matt Gates, Paul Gosar, Lauren Boebert, Andy Biggs, or Scott Perry, why are you blocking McCarthy's speakership? Ask them what do you want? And their answer is this. What's happening right now, government at a complete standstill, this, this is what they want. They see this as end times for our government and soon the material world as we know it. And while I have nothing but contempt for and fear of these Republicans, I do admire their commitment. They know it only takes a handful of elected officials in Congress to shut things down. You can shut it all down unless you get your way. This power is in the hands 
of a couple of members of Congress. It would be nice if the squad, if the progressives, be nice if they took an occasional page from this playbook. These Republicans, these true believers, are willing to accept what Democrats on the left are too chicken shit, too frightened of. And that is a healthy dose of chaos and uncertainty. There is nothing wrong with chaos and uncertainty. But we don't see that in the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party is terrified of chaos and uncertainty. We think of Republicans as the fascists. They are. But make no mistake, it is the Democrats, not the Republicans, who march in lockstep. And it is this chaos, this bitter infighting, that in the long run makes the Republicans stronger than the Democrats. Unity, the kind of unity we are witnessing on the Democratic side of the aisle, makes us weaker. What is the purpose of the unity behind Hakeem Jeffries right now? Even though he was getting more votes than McCarthy, there was still no way Jeffrey was ever going to get elected speaker. So why did every single Democrat vote for Jeffries? Now is the time for the left, the progressives in the House, to tell corporate Democrats like Hakeem Jeffries, do not take me for granted. Now, Hakeem Jeffries is as bad, if not worse, than Nancy Pelosi. He's a corporate Democrat, and that's why he's in charge of the House. He doles out the Wall Street cash. He's from Brooklyn. He is antithetical. Brooklyn gets, he gets the money from Wall Street. He is antithetical to everything the Democratic Party used to be and should be, and yet not a single Democrat, not one progressive, not one Democrat in the House this week has the courage to stand up and nominate somebody else for, for speaker. It's all symbolism. Every vote for Jeffries this week is symbolic. He's not going to be speaker. And yet not a single Democrat was willing to send a symbolic message on behalf of the left. Not one. This is precisely why it would have been a disaster had Bernie Sanders been elected president in 2020. He would have been destroyed not by the GOP, but by the Democrats he caucuses with. The left does not have a bench in Washington, D.C., willing to stand up for progressive values. Even this week, the left couldn't even showboat, couldn't even pretend to stand up to Hakeem Jeffries. We can't even get the left to be performative. Now, I pray that the GOP splinters in two. But that won't do this country any good until the Democratic Party also splinters in two. Where are the progressives? Why is AOC or Pramila Jayapal voting for Hakeem Jeffries? Make a statement. So... While I loathe the Freedom Caucus, these doctrinaires holding up the election for speaker, I do respect their courage of conviction. They know they have nothing to lose because they know 
They have nothing to gain no matter who becomes speaker. And it's time for Democrats on the left to figure that one out as well, because if Hakeem Jeffries becomes speaker, the only Democrats who stand to gain are Hakeem Jeffries. So I promised to tell you who is to blame for all that's going on this week. Most of you are too young to remember the Gingrich Revolution back in 1994, which brought in a new type of Republican to Washington. It brought into the House of Representatives anti-government lawmakers who spoke openly for the first time about shutting down the federal government as though that's a good thing. Gingrich made it safe to talk open, openly about dismantling the administrative state, about shrinking the government down to the same size it was before Franklin Roosevelt became president. It's important to remember that up until 1994, Democrats owned the House of Representatives. Democrats held the House of Representatives for 40 years straight, up until Newt Gingrich. And when you really think about it, the Democrats owned the House of Representatives longer than that. Democrats really owned the House going, I don't know, all the way back to 1933 with Roosevelt's landslide. There were a few Republican-controlled houses right after World War II, but for the most part, the Democrats owned the House of Representatives going back to 1933. But the Gingrich Revolution, the Gingrich Revolution of 1994 changed all that. And the first budget that Newt Gingrich negotiated resulted in two government shutdowns. And he was proud that the government was shut down. We, we had never seen anything like this. We all thought Newt Gingrich was committing political suicide because at the time, it was an unimaginable shock to the system. The lights to the Statue of Liberty went out. Americans were simply flabbergasted, but not Newt Gingrich, not this new breed, not this new breed of Republicans, because this was exactly why they were sent to D.C., to shut it all down when they can't get their way. Now, I don't blame Newt Gingrich for any of this. The person I blame for the chaos we're seeing this week in Washington, D.C., the person I blame is Bill Clinton. It was Bill Clinton who made it safe for Republicans to act like spoiled little brats. It was Bill Clinton who transformed the Democrats into the adults in the room. And by becoming the adults in the room, we had to chase these Republican toddlers all the way to the right end of the spectrum and become almost as conservative as they are. We gave, by we, the Democrats, Bill Clinton, gave Republicans permission to act out, to throw temper tantrums, because Bill Clinton wanted to be the adult in the room for Wall Street to protect 
the bond market. It was Bill Clinton who rebuilt the Democrats into a party of Wall Street toadies who desperately tried to appear as the adult in the room who wouldn't dream of allowing America to default on its debt or have it, its debt downgraded by Moody's. Bill Clinton, not Gingrich, not these Republicans. It was Bill Clinton who taught the Democratic Party how to cater to the financial sector in return for their contributions. Bill Clinton promised that the Democrats would preserve stability in the bond market by balancing the budget and reining in federal spending. Bill Clinton decided the Democrats were the adults in the room. And what did he do? He cut welfare. Any person who cuts welfare is not the adult in the room. He's the piece of shit. Bill Clinton taught Obama how to trick the Republicans into brinkmanship, how to make the Republicans appear irresponsible. He, it became safe to make the Republicans act out, stick to their, their bilious convictions and, and shut down the government. Because of Clinton, the Democrats became the darlings of Wall Street. And Republicans knew Democrats would never allow the government to shut down because that would be horrible for Wall Street and the Democrats are owned, thanks to Bill Clinton, by Wall Street. So the Republicans found the Democratic Party's weakness. It was the threat of a government shutdown. And that's because of Bill Clinton. He exposed his weakness. If you shut down the government, Wall Street will turn on me. So Gingrich and the rest of the Republicans realized that no matter what they did, the Democrats would be the quote-unquote adults in the room and keep the government open. It is the Democrats who are in love with Wall Street and the bankers. Never forget in 2008, when the oxygen had been sucked out of capitalism and it came time to bail out the banks in 2008, even though George W. Bush was president, it was the Republicans who voted against TARP, who voted against the bailout. Nancy Pelosi, Democrat, Speaker of the House. She controlled the House. It was the Republicans who killed the bailout in the first House vote. They uh, had a second vote and enough Republicans finally came around. But plenty of Republicans stayed true to their convictions and were willing to let the banks die in 2008. We didn't let the banks die. We gave them close to a trillion dollars in 2008. And that Christmas, after they killed capitalism, they took our tax dollars and paid themselves billions of dollars in bonuses because we have to keep the animal spirits alive. Capitalism can't exist without animal spirits, they said. It was the Democrats, the Bill Clinton Democrats, who voted to save the banks because Bill Clinton reinvented the Democrats and they would never allow our banks or our federal government to fall off the fiscal cliff. Democrats no longer protect the weak. They say they do, but they protect Wall Street. They protect the bond market. They don't give us universal health insurance, their job is to protect Wall Street, protect the bond market, to protect our AAA rating from Moody's. 
It was Clinton. It was Clinton who gave Gingrich and the Republicans permission to play chicken with our economy because Clinton and Obama, unlike the Republicans, they had no moral convictions when it came to policy. They didn't care enough about the working poor or the environment to shut the government down. They only cared about the bond market. And Republicans know that, so they constantly shut, constantly threaten to shut this government down. And that's what we're saying tonight. We're, we're seeing 20 far-right conservatives acting like little children, having a Newt Gingrich-style temper tantrum because they know Joe Biden is president and somehow, somehow he will come to the rescue of Wall Street and make sure that even though the Republicans are misbehaving, this country won't default on its debt. We would never, our side, we would never shut down the government. It's an impossibility because we would lose all that money from Wall Street. You know, Nancy Pelosi was speaker in 2006, and she was virulently opposed to the war in Iraq. Just not enough to shut the government down. But Republicans, when they want something, when they don't get their way, they shut the government down because they couldn't care less about the bond market because the Democrats are always there to catch the bond market, to catch Wall Street, to protect the economy from the damage that Republicans inflict. So I blame Clinton for what's going on this week. I blame Clinton for trying to be the adult in the room. I blame Clinton for recasting the Democrats, turned them into Wall Street suck-ups who don't take a stand for anything. I blame Clinton for turning the Democrats into the party of fiscal hawks. And I remember <clears throat> everybody said the great thing about Bill Clinton is he knows how to win. Right? While he was sucking up to Wall Street, a lot of my Democratic friends were intoxicated by Clinton's ability to win. But what they neglected to observe is that Bill Clinton only knew how to win for himself. There were no Clinton coattails in the House of Representatives because he turned his back on the working class and on the poor. He signed NAFTA into law. He passed welfare reform and he took Wall Street money the whole way. He deregulated Wall Street. Every move he made was for Wall Street. And they kept saying Ging uh, Clinton knows how to win, but Gingrich knew how to win and he shut down the government and it was horrible. Gingrich and Clinton had to get a budget pass in 95 and the government shut down. Clinton wouldn't sign the budget that uh, Gingrich offered and the government shut down for five days in 1995. And then right before Christmas of 95, it shut down again for 21 days going into the new year. And these shutdowns resulted in 800,000 non-essential federal employees getting furloughed. There was no money to pay them. Eventually, the Republicans and the Democrats compromised and a spending bill was passed. But for a brief period, our government was shut down. Our national parks were closed. 
The Centers for Disease Control was understaffed, unable to function. Passports weren't being issued. The list of government services shut down goes on and on and on. And everybody was saying this, this isn't polling well for Republicans. But Newt Gingrich understood that congressional districts, that, that district by district, he would do just fine. So in 1996, Clinton got reelected, and it was said the government shutdown played some role in his getting reelected. But people forget that Newt Gingrich also got reelected as speaker that year. Gingrich shut down the government. He fought for something and was rewarded for it. He came back to the speakership in 1996 because he shut down the government. He gave the American people action. It was self-destructive, but as Teddy Roosevelt says, get action. The American people want action, even if it means shutting down the government. And the lesson that Republicans took from all this, from the government shutdowns is, there is no political price for Republicans to pay when they shut down the government because the American people respect that. Enough American people respect that because the American people crave action. There are votes to be harvested by going on a kamikaze mission to destroy Washington because American voters respond to boldness, even if it's self-destructive. Americans respond to any party that goes big. Americans will vote for big government or Americans will vote for a party that goes even bigger than big government by shutting the entire government down. The bigger you go, the more votes you get because Americans crave action, no matter what kind of action. And the Republicans are going to be rewarded for what's going on right now because it's bold it's bold, it's dangerous, and it appears, it makes it appear as though Republicans care. So I blame Bill Clinton for what's going on this week. Uh, he trained Obama, Biden, Pelosi that nothing is worth fighting for other than corporate donations from Wall Street. And he taught the Republicans it's okay to go as far to the right as you want to go because Democrats will be right there to catch them. Democrats will be right there to figure out a way to save the bond market and reopen our government, which means the Republicans move further and further to the right and Democrats move further and further to the right to catch them. And so the entire Democratic Party tonight is behind Hakeem Jeffries, who will never bring a vote on Medicare for all, who will never fight for the poor, because just like Bill Clinton Hakeem Jeffries is the adult in the room, completely controlled by Wall Street. You know, a government shutdown, it's not the worst thing if you're shutting it down to end a war or to save a poverty program. You know, a national strike is not the worst thing in the world. You know, the Republicans, they're not afraid of a government shutdown. You know, there should have been a railway strike last year. The workers and the country in the long run would have been a lot better off if the workers shut this economy down and kept threatening to do it again. They'd raise the minimum wage.
Biden should have supported a national railway strike. He would have been awarded on election day. Republicans are shutting down the government right now, and American voters will reward them for this, because unlike the Democrats, Republicans are willing to at least pretend to care about something. Any government, any economy that has money for bombs, but none for its children, is worth an occasional shutdown. As Teddy Roosevelt said, get action. The Republicans understand that. The Democrats don't. I'm David Feldman reminding you to stay strong and protect the weak.